0: Okay, so good morning, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. There's a great energy in the room today, that's what we like. Feminine Faith is the book, the page number is 36. Let's see if we can cover some ground today. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. It all remains to be seen. It all remains to be seen. Where? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say we're still on page 20. Uh, you were on 36. So at least we covered some ground since okay. since last time.
1: Well, definitely covered ground. we might
0: not cover any pages. There you go. Right. You go. All right. 36. Page 36 in the books. The handouts are going around. We don't have um, we may not have enough handouts for everybody, I'll ask again, if you take a handout, please retain it, um, otherwise we're just wasting paper, and these things should not be discarded, the copies should not be discarded anyway, if you don't think it's going to come back, then leave it with me, because I put it away, and I always take it out, and it's safe, uh, safe with me, with the handouts, um, okay, fantastic, does anybody, Marcy, do you have, uh, a book or a handout, you're co- good, you're covered, fantastic, just make sure that everybody, hold on, hold on, we got to bring these, uh, we got to bring the chairs a little bit closer, Renee. Rene. It's not going to be the same. You gotta come a little bit closer. All right, Linda, come in a little bit closer. All right, Steve, can you hear me back there? Can you hear me now? All right. Good stuff. No spitballs from the back of the room. All right, that's the only. Uh, that's the only. Okay, good. Let's uh, let's rock and roll. The question that I'm going to ask is, would Abraham recognize Judaism today? Let's start with this question. Oh, you didn't think that question was coming. Right? Would Abraham recognize Judaism today? If Abraham, our patriarch, right, Avram Avinu, walked in to your average Jewish community, would Abraham recognize the faith that he founded? Simple question. It's not a simple answer. Was, huh?
1: was, was, was Judaism even in existence when Abraham founded it? Abraham
0: is considered the first Jew. Right. Judaism certainly has. Okay, good. So this is uh, this is the discussion. I mean, you're asking a good question. What you're doing is you're a- answering a question with a question, which is very appropriate, actually. <laughs> it's what I do all the time. Uh, what do you mean, would Abraham? No, right? <laughs> no, it's a good question. It's what? How? What, to what extent? So this is part of the question. But on a theo- at least on a philosophical or more than philosophical theological level, right? On a uh, uh, would he recognize Judaism? Certainly he would recognize circumcision. Right? He was uh founding father of that. What else? Huh? Sorry? I'd say he probably recognized parts of it, I'm sure,
1: but probably not all of it. It's a living religion that changes.
0: Okay. Okay, I hear that. What else? One God. Okay, so good, I wanna to get to, I wanna to get to this point. One God. Would he recognize the monotheism that we know and love today? I'm, not, I'm talking about the Jewish monotheism. Would Abraham recognize? What do you think? There, are you saying what he recognized in terms of how he practiced like, I'm Not, I'm, not to understand I'm purposely, I'm okay. purposefully leaving the question a little bit vague.
2: Like I mean, think, think that we worship uh, material yes. things.
0: But his culture also worshipped material things, so he would recognize that. You're saying that we struggle with that yeah, as like well.
2: Might, by the way that we live, whether we things or not, it might appear that we
3: workshop, you know, flat screen TVs and uh, nice cars. And stuff like that. They were,
0: we're not praying. By the way, Abraham had a flat screen Right. <laughs>
2: we're not praying. We some people might spend more time in front of the flat screen TV than
0: in cinecars. Yeah, I don't know. Right, okay, okay, but I think in his time there were also these challenges, right? But I'm saying from a Jewish perspective, because what Judaism, right, what Judea, the way Judaism looked like, and again, what, what did Judaism look like? I mean, this is part of the journey that we're talking about. But in his teaching of Judaism, or in our, we have to, have to understand. The challenges are the challenges. The challenges then were camels and idols and whatever they had then. The challenge, challenges today are you know, money and, and flat screen TVs and, and, and Siri. Right? (laughs) Burton, Siri, Siri is the name of the thing, and uh, and the um, and the American Idols, right? I mean, this is this
4: is right. The Ten Commandments hadn't been handed
0: down. Yeah, but they, but but Abraham, they studied Torah. They have values. They have certain values, even even before that were divinely inspired. But I want to get back to this point. I want to get back to this point for a second. But the question is, the question is, on a Jew, from a from what Judaism teaches, is it consistent with what Abraham teaches? Todd? I don't think so. Is it?
3: What did he teach? What did Abraham teach? I mean, I, okay, I, I so mean, this part of... You tell me. The, besides the revolution that he created...
0: What was the revolution?
3: The, the switch from idol worship to, to one
0: God. So we have to understand the concept of one God and see if we're still practicing that today. That's the question. That's the question. And I'll tell you what I mean. What I mean is like this. Would Abraham recognize a synagogue centric life? You understand my question? Would he recognize a Judaism that lies primarily in the domain of certain spaces that are considered sacred spaces? That are considered sacred. I'm going to end there. Sacred spaces. Or would he recognize something else? <laughs> what is what what would he recognize? To
1: him God was everywhere. It wasn't he wasn't localized in any particular area. So we uh, on the
0: other hand. How do we know this? Because
1: he traveled and wherever he traveled. He didn't he didn't set up anything. Wherever he was, God was with him. He
0: did set up in a sense. He did set up what did he set up?
4: Home, his kind, his,
0: his tent. Where was his tent? Wherever he went. His den was wherever. He moved it around. But when he settled, where did he settle? At the crossroads. At the crossroads. On the roads. Where people traveled. Why? With this idea? (laughs) He was in the desert. It says he was in the desert. The Midrash says that he was in the desert. How did he teach people about monotheism? He set up his A-shell. It's called the Eishel, which is Achila, Shti, and Levia, or Lina, eating, drinking, and either sleeping or, or you know, uh, uh, welcoming somebody, escorting somebody out uh, in, a, in a proper way. So basically, he w- he had this place, bed and breakfast, if you will.
3: Workhouse
4: tavern. Huh? A roadhouse
0: tavern. I don't, know if ta- I don't think he had alcohol there. Whatever. I mean, he had wine, but it wasn't it wasn't like people weren't uh, you know whatever. So he had so he was he had his shell set up at the crossroads when people traveled, they stopped in they were hungry they were tired he provided them food to eat and a place to rest he gave them that and then when they were done this is what the Medrash says the Talmud says it's in a Medrash and a Talmud with slight variations until such good morning until such point in time, so they ate and they drank. Oh, they were so happy, middle of a desert, who's going to find a steak? Who's going to find a piece of sushi? Abraham had it, Sarah had it. What do you mean? The guests came, the angels came, quickly grabbed some animals, grabbed some, 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 some cream and butter. Oh, it was a great meal, fantastic. So this, everyone was fed the same way. After the meal, Abraham, they said, thank you, Abraham. Have I ever re- said over this? Okay, he said, "Thank you, Abraham." What does Abraham say? Don't, thank, don't thank me. Thank the one who actually created all this. Thank God. They're like, "Who's God?" The one God that created heaven and earth. They're like, "Yeah, we don't believe in that." So Abraham said, "Okay, you don't want to thank God? Fine." Prints out a receipt. Here's your here's your bill. Yeah, fifteen hundred dollars. What? Fifteen hundred dollars? Yeah, it's like an airport here. <laughs> yeah, you want to buy? You want to buy a, a, a what's it called in a a vitamin water, yeah, it'll be three fifty. Three fifty, I get ten for a dollar a Kroger. Yeah, you're 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 in uh, you're in the crossroads. What do you mean? We're we're all seeing it again. It's supply and demand. So they said, all right, where do, how do we bench? All right, how do we bless God? I said, just just teach us how. And of course, there are discussions about well, if they were kind of coerced into it, so how does it work? How did, how did he actually educate them? That's another discussion. What I want to bring out is one simple idea, and that is Abraham's vision of God, is a God that's not locked up in a boardroom, Uh, not boardroom, God that's not locked up in an ark, God that's not locked up in a synagogue, God that's not locked up in a uh, ritual experience or in a holiday, but God that is available everywhere and anywhere, when you eat and when you drink and when, when you do regular things. This is the Jewish notion of monotheism. We can explore this and I want to explore this, we can also explore where we started veering off perhaps in a different direction and how really Judaism teaches both. So let's explore, first let's explore Abraham's vision of God, which is indeed the Jewish vision of God. And this is an idea that we've spoken about in the last few sessions of Kabbalah and Coffee, but it's an idea that as much as we talk about it, I feel like it falls short of doing justice to the topic. I feel like As much as we talk about it and talk about it in different ways and different angles, it still falls short of the truth of the idea. And here's the truth of the idea. Most people, when you ask them, when they turn to Torah, they might tell you it's to know how to keep Shabbos. It's to know how to keep kosher. It's to know how to observe a a mitzvah or a holiday or whatever it is. But when I'm in a financial crisis... I'm not going to open up Torah. The vast majority of people, of Jews, will tell you that when it comes, if I want to know, yeah, how to send away the mother bird, right? The mitzvah HaKan, sending away, before you take an egg to send away the mother bird, it's a mitzvah, obscure in the Torah. It says that you're blessed with long life. If you want to know how to do that mitzvah, so you got to open up the Torah, you got to open up the commentaries. But if you want to know how to make money, you have all these uh, gurus out there. What do you mean? You open up Torah? Right? What is... What does God's Torah have to do with with my uh, with my cash flow, right? If you want to know how to how to um, again, if you want to know a holiday, whatever. Again, Torah. If so I want to know how to parent effectively, parenting effectively, I got to read up on the latest bestsellers, the latest the parenting books and whatever the right. If I want to know how to be happy, there are books on happiness. If I want to know how to be motivated, there are books on motivation. Want to know how relationships, there are books on relationships, right? Torah, to- God, and was, where is God? God is in the synagogue, for the Torah, for the rituals, for the holidays, for the Jewish stuff, for the religious stuff. For life itself, we got other books for that. There's an app for that. And it ain't a Jewish app. And again, as much as we talk about monotheism, what well, monotheism means. And what the revolution of Abraham is, that Abraham takes God out of heaven and puts it on earth, there's still a disconnect. Because, and again, this is, this is, this is speaking from a personal place, a tendency, and from, from a societal place. From a Jewish community place. When we encounter good things or bad things, and in cha- it comes out specifically in challenges. When we, cha- cha- when we encounter challenges in certain areas, our tendency is to immediately go to the other sources. We go to the other places. We go to the other tools that are out there. Not that other tools are not helpful. But we think, well, what does God have to do with... I'm in a financial crisis, right? i got to network. i got to attend a seminar. i got to read up on some books. And i got to send out my resume. That's what I have to do. And does God, does prayer, does Torah study, does taking on a mitzvah, does committing to something, putting up a mezuzah, does that come into the picture? Does that come, does that, is it the first, that's first front that comes to mind? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And I think, this is, where Abraham, and and so, but what is the synagogue for then? Synagogue is for Bar Mitzvah. Right? What's the synagogue for? Synagogue is for, Yom Kippur. But synagogue is for the Jewish stuff. But for life, there's other stuff. For life, there's life stuff, right? There's do- in other words, if I want to know how to live life, so I turn to what society tells me about life, right? What, what, what's popular, what's whatever, what, whatever, how everyone's living. In other words, the world, in a sense, the world, culture, society, you know, knowledge, whatever, the world will tell me how to live life. God tells me what Judaism says, and that's what religious observances, ritual, that stuff. And it, to me, Abraham, if this is what Judaism looks like or what Jewish communities look like, Abraham doesn't recognize this. Because Abraham's entire life is all about teaching a simple point. Simple point because it's, it's, it's one point. But not simple in the sense that it's easy. Simpl- all truth is simple. Because truth is simple. Truth is easy. Truth is not easy. Truth is truth. Is truth. It's very accessible. It's hard to implement sometimes, but truth is simple. What is the truth? The truth is that God is everywhere. And God is everything. When I say God is everything, not that God is the stuyota, the, the fantasies, the, the, the falsehoods. But rather, God is accessible everywhere and relevant everywhere. And God has much, to, and, and Torah, which is divine wisdom, God's wisdom has much to teach us and is the first front of teaching us about everything that we encounter in life. In other words, the disconnect between society and synagogue doesn't exist in Abraham's world. Abraham takes, in a sense, Judaism, or the first incarnation of Judaism, he takes Abraham takes his idea of monotheism and takes it to the streets. Street Judaism, if you will. To take Judaism and then lock it up in an ark, and then lock the synagogue doors in an and open it up once a week, is to take Abraham's vision of reality, of truth, of monotheism, of God, of Judaism, and to completely distort it. Does so make sense? So then you're going to ask a question. Well, what about the temple? Not the one on... What about the holy temple? That was a special place, right? Let's understand that these special places exist... A synagogue exists, Shabbos exists, a holiday exists, a bar mitzvah exists, only to invigorate us, to give us a a five-hour energy, jolt, to be able to take it into the streets. Because if we don't have the jolt, who's motivated to take it to the streets? But the ideal is to take it to the street. I'm going to give you some terminology for this. There's a verse that says, (laughs) Bechol D'Racheho Do'Ehu. I don't think I've ever said these uh, these three words in this class before, not for any specific reason. Just haven't uh, haven't quoted them in Hebrew. The ideas we've talked about. Bechol, what does that mean? In all, or with with everything? Derechecha, what's derech? Way. So in all, bechol, in all, derechecha, in, in all your ways. Doehu, what's da? That. Knowledge. Doehu, sh- you shall know him. In all your ways you shall know Him. What does that mean? And Him is with a capital H. And Him is not gender, specifically refers to God. Even though Him is... Anyway. In all your ways you shall know God. What does that mean? It means simple. It means simply like this. That God doesn't only exist at the Bar Mitzvah. God doesn't only exist with the menorah. God doesn't only exist in the sukkah god doesn't only exist in the in the synagogue god exists bekhodrerach bekhodrerach in all your ways in everything that, you do, everything that you do everything that you do everything that you encounter every experience that you have every step that you take in this journey called life judaism says must be infused ought to be infused with spirit of torah with the spirit of hashem with that spirit Where is that? it's it's either from Torah or it's a verse. It's either from Torah or from Scripture, from the, from the books of the prophets. It's why I don't remember offhand. It's either Deuteronomy or... I'm not sure. We can look it up after the class. In all... What is it? Your Proverbs?
3: I said it sounds more like
0: Proverbs. The Proverbs. It could, it could be from, from one of the Scriptures. we got to look it up. But this becomes a powerful, a powerful verse that... Is, a, is ver- very much speaks to the, re- the real truth of Judaism as opposed to perhaps what the conception of Judaism is. And I think part of the issue is that Judaism v- is so radically different from any other religion. And I've said before in this class that Judaism is not a religion. And no, what I mean? Judaism is not a religion. Judaism is not a religion. Religion says you got to believe in something. Religions put in, put, you got to believe in something and then you got to go so- Judaism is a way of life. Judaism is about living, living a certain way. Judaism is about when you eat, you're eating a certain way. When you sleep, you go to sleep a certain way. When you wake up, you wake up a certain way. Right? When you do everything in life, you do it a certain way. You do it differently because you're inspired by Torah, because you're living with the values of Torah, i.e. you're living with with divine values. Your life is different. So it's not that it's a, it's a faith, I believe in something. Or, yeah, I yeah, show up to on occasion. It's a way of life, it's living. And it's a process, obviously. It's a process, yeah.
3: So my question, since you're bringing Abraham into this, is before the religion was codified, before the Ten Commandments, before the Torah was written, it's, and when it was a street religion, and really sort of elemental, living in God's will every place, but not having all the constructs that exist. So how does that...
0: The happen? constructs. Okay, good. No, this is, this is the process that, that, that we're going down right now. What about the temple, the holy temple, what the constructs? Let's understand that all of these things, like I said, the temple, the holy temple, and the synagogue is all about teaching how to live so that you can live. The question is, you know, chicken, chicken and the egg, which is, which is about what's the objective. The objective is not to live in order to go to shul. It's almost like Shabbos in the rest of the week. What's the objective? Is it to go through the week to get to Shabbos? Or is it to have Shabbos so that your week, the following week, looks different? The objective is that you're living different. So what about the constructs of the Ten Commandments? They're all about how to live your life.
3: But what about before we had those, and and, and the Jews, that he was... So they
0: they had certain teachings of Torah. It says that even from before Abraham, from the time of uh, Shem and Aver, Shem was uh, Noah's son. They were studying Torah, they had... A form of Torah. Yaakov put on tefillin, this is before the Torah existed, he did it with sticks. He peeled sticks, he was like, the, like the tefillin are black and white, you know, stripes like that, he peeled sticks, and in that way he put on tefillin. He did it in a spiritual way, so he didn't do it in the same way that we know, but he did it in a certain way. So there, there are certain, and this is, there are certain eternal uh, ideas, ideals of Torah that existed before. But it didn't exist in a sense. We didn't have the mitzvot, in a practical sense, given to us. So it was, in a sense, harder to live on, on, on the street. Because the mitzvot actually, on the contrary, the, mit, the, con, the constructs of the mitzvot and the Ten Commandments, they don't, they're, not, I, I, they're not intended to pull us away from street Judaism. They're intended to teach us how to live Judaism in the streets. They're intended to give us a framework in which to do so. In order to enhance that and not to, in any way, God forbid, to, uh, to, to detract from that. So, but the idea is that Abraham's vision of God and Abraham's uh, uh, idea of monotheism is very much about living life with Hashem. And what that means is everything that we do, Bechol, D'Rachecha, De'Ehu, In all your ways you shall know Him, Komasecha you l'shem shemaim, All of your actions should be for the sake of heaven. In other words, in everything that we do, So there's sometimes we think that, so when can I be holy when I do a mitzvah? You can be holy when you go to work. You can be holy when you... And we have said this before in classes, but I think that on some level there's still a disconnect. The disconnect is again, when we encounter challenge in these areas of life. Do we immediately think, what does Torah have to say about this? What does Judaism have to say about this? Or do we immediately think, uh uh-oh, what does, uh, you know, Covey have to say about this? What does, uh, who else are the gurus of various fields? Whatever. What do the gurus have to say about it? It's a completely different picture. It's a completely different, different understanding. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, one thing I find interesting is um, when, you, when you're talking about consulting the sort of societal information, yeah. that's more of an intellectual exercise. Whereas if you're really feeling the presence of Hashem and living in God's will, you, you almost don't, from personal experience, you almost don't have to consult Torah. You just.
0: Here's the challenge: you got to know, but but you have to know what Torah says about ethics and morality and values. I mean, there's a there's a, lots of different. And and about uh, you know what to do in times of crisis. I mean, there's a lot of information, even on on an intellectual level, that's out there, and it's great to be inspired by you know by that sense. But it's but there's also a very practical. uh, There are practical teachings that that are, are are relevant. My overall point is very is a very simple point. The idea, the simple question of where is God found. If you where is Torah found? Where's Judaism found? Where is God found? All of these are synonymous in this conversation. Where is God found? If at any point in time we think or we feel or we say that it's locked up in a certain space, that's not that's not Judaism. That's not the way Judaism ought to be, at least. That's not Abraham's Judaism, that's not authentic Judaism, etc. If at any point in time we say, Well, you know, a shul is good for a simcha, or a rabbi is good chas v'sham, For God forbid, for uh, for a sad occasion, that's what rabbi. You know, what is the picture of a rabbi? You know, coming and making a shiva call. If that's the picture of Judaism, that's uh, without. That's not. That's not the picture of Judaism. What is Judaism? Judaism is a holistic, a, a way of living life in a different way. Yeah.
4: Here, here's some of the things that I think about because I agree with what you're saying. And I understand what you're saying. So I have this feeling since joining, you know, okay, I gotta change some things, I think. So I'm in a financial crisis. There's no chapter heading in the Torah that says what to do with a financial crisis and to start learning again. i 52 to go back. So how do you gain and get moved forward with this idea in your head?
0: Notice how do you take a crash course in Torah? How do, I, how do I get through this challenge? No, it's a valid question. I'm not I'm actually making a joke. How do you get through the challenge in the moment? Without saying, well, let me go to let me you know go to yeshiva for two years and uh, you know full time study. That certainly that doesn't seem like it's going to help the challenge. There are no cliff notes for Torah. No. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> right. Well, but the question is, what you're going to get with Google? It's a very it's a, it's an excellent question, and I was on a practical level. How do we do this? Number one, consult with your local rabbi. There's no substitute. Consultation. The reason why. But
4: you're not on my. Uh, my I can't even pull out my can and say, Rabbi.
0: You, you can't. Well, listen, I, I got a cell phone. I even have it right here, ready to go. I wonder if it's on silent. let hope that it's.
3: Very it's very
0: responsive. What I'm saying, again, what I get it. What I want to bring out one thing because I think it's now it's it's relevant because of the conversation. I want to define a rabbi for a moment. Does anybody know the, what what a rabbi? What is rabbi? What does it mean? Teacher. Rabbi, teacher, teach. In other words, a rabbi is not. There's nothing, nothing more than someone who can help teach Torah, authentic, ideally authentic Torah, and in a situation where, you know, a specific situation, teach Torah in a way that is tailored, specific to the needs and to the to the specific context. So, on a, on a to, to directly answer your question, <coughs> the way is... You can call me, exactly. <laughs> or no, anybody knows. The point is... No, I mean this seriously. That... You're right. If you if you just say okay, so I, so, so Torah has the answer. So where am I going to start from Genesis? In the beginning, God created, and then what? Where do I go after that? How do I? So again, so there there are answers, and the, but it, the, let's start the conversation. Anyway, the point is that I, no, I think it's a valid point Rabbi to put it. to give a testimony.
2: On that. No, no, seriously, because I think too, if you haven't ever called the Rabbi, you can think, oh, well, he's going to tell me to come to this class, but Rabbi already does. He gives practical advice in the moment. Passionate, and there is, in my experience, there's a way that I feel that a, a deeper connection with Hashem in that moment. There's, I don't know, there's, there's something that happens. So I just, I so appreciate your
3: availability for
2: that. Thank
0: you for sharing that. So yeah, so and again, this is you know the idea. I, I want, and I want to bring out that a rabbi is not just. My role, in a sense, a role, or my is not just to teach a class. It's to really be there for whoever needs and whoever. So, if there's a, spe- but the point that I want to bring out is absolutely there are. There's guidance that Torah has, and, and, and Torah is the idea that, that Hashem is removed from our life experience is so not the what 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 Abraham started. That's that's the exact opposite of what Abraham started. When moving to Kabbalah, because all of this is in terms that we can perhaps, that we're very familiar with, that are very immediate, we can relate to all this. Let's couch this conversation in Kabbalistic terms, just to confuse the situation. (laughs) Kidding. Just because it's good to know, and because it's relevant to, to actually reading inside. There are two energies this is the, we've talked about this many, many times in this class, but we need to introduce it one more time so that we, we can pick up the flow of the text. There are two energies that are considered divine energies. There's only one God, but one God has the ability to create many things. The ability to create many things seems to be at odds with oneness. Because, right? It would, this is this is where all the philosophers and all the other big minds in history got stuck. How can one God create diversity? How can you go from oneness to diversity? So obviously at the source, maybe there's not oneness. Maybe there's duality at the source, at the top. Because pure oneness, how does pure oneness allow for for? you
4: have a
1: general
0: because the general is a composite, because the general is not, a, not pure oneness. Talk about a God as pure, pure oneness, absolute oneness. How do you go from oneness to more? So I'll tell you what the Avodah Sakhoder says, a, a, a Kabbalistic work. Kishem b'al just like God's, God has the ability to be unlimited in a sense, one, beyond uh, uh, differentiation, beyond distinction, so too God has the ability to be gvul, to be limited, to, to also be finite, in a sense, to 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 define himself in, w- in different ways. In other words, to create diversity. Because if not, you're taking away from his perfection. In other words, and this is again this is a theme that we've talked about before in different terms. The idea that God is perfect, that God is whole, that God is beyond any... Got, we can't box God into any definition includes and God into the definition of being beyond definition.
2: Does
0: that make sense? To say that God has to be beyond definition and God can't allow for definition, or definition can't come from God, right? Wonderful, you've just defined God as being beyond definition. So just as God has the ability to be beyond definition, God also has the ability to define himself. And what does it mean, definition? Definition means distinction, right? The moment you define something, you distinguish it from something else, right? Until you've defined it, it could be anything. Right? I have an idea. What am I thinking about? Oh, so it could be anything. Once you, before you've defined it, it's infinite in a sense. Right? They imagine, you're, right. what am I thinking about? Well, I'm probably thinking about what I'm about to say, but if I just came over to you, right, and you didn't know what I was, we didn't have any prior history in the conversation. So what am I thinking about? So suddenly your mind expands. Right? You're the one that's trying to guess what I'm thinking about. Suddenly it could be anything. It could be birds. It could be animals. It could be planets. It could be Kabbalah. It could be anything. Holy cow, it's a lot of... Uh, could be bad, holy cows. Could be anything, right? Who knows? Could be anything. So your mind suddenly, you the guesser, it suddenly expands, and I say, well, here's what I'm thinking about, and I suddenly define it. So now it's that and not something else. God has the ability. God is beyond definition. Even the definition of being beyond definition, and the, the definition of beyond definition means that God can't be defined. We can't limit God to a space of beyond definition of not being defined. God can also be defined if He wants to. God is truly infinite in the sense that He also has the ability to be finite. What I'm saying is infinite precludes finite. Infinite is also not a, not, a, uh, not a valid. God is beyond infinite. God is God. That's why we call God God. God doesn't really... You know, what is God? God beyond infinite. To say that God is infinite implies that God is not finite. But that's not true. God has the ability to be finite as well. In Kabbalah, these two states, the infinite and the finite, which God possesses both abilities, are generally termed by two divine names. And again, we've discussed this many times before. And you know and love these names as Hashem, or Havaya, and Elohim. These are the two names of God. The two most popular names, tags, if you will, of God in Torah. (laughs) Right? The two most popular names of God in Torah are the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God, the Yud followed by the He, followed by the Vav, followed by the He, which we never pronounce the way it's written we do pronounce it. We switch around the letters and we pronounce the name Havaya. So that's the most popular name of God. The second most popular name, or perhaps right up there, is Elohim, or Elokeno, Elohim, Eloke, a variation of that they're both translated as God. In some translations, you'll find in the Torah and in the Siddur, you'll find one as Lord and one as God, or this one as God and this one as Lord, or in a Haggadah, one of the Chabad Haggadahs, the translator, Rabbi Shachad, who was once here, he spoke about... Was anybody here when he spoke? Will the real Messiah please stand up a few years ago? Shachad, fantastic speaker from Toronto. Anyway, so he, uh, so he translates to Haggadah, both God, but one is... Uppercase G and then lowercase O D and then one is big uh, G O D with all caps. You know, like what's going on? Why is he shouting? Right, all God like that. Whatever. You can translate it different ways. Kabbalah says very simply, they're both divine. They're both the divine. They reflect two aspects of the divine. The aspect of the divine that is beyond, that is infinite, beyond definition in a sense or the aspect of God that is undefined and the aspect of God that can be defined or, or, dis, or has assumed definition not because God is limited but because God has chosen to express that aspect of reality as well the aspect of definition because if not again it is a um, it is uh, what am I it's compromising God's true uh, unlimited ability to not be limited as well right? as I said before I didn't say anything does this make sense so far? The two, yeah. so Go ahead. the two divine energies are the finite and the infinite? So are the, exactly, are the infinite, the purely infinite in the sense of God beyond limitations, and then the second energy of God is God as assuming limitation, but not as, oh God is assuming limitation, how is that God? But God ex- exercising the ability to also assume limitation, which in a sense expresses an even greater infinite ability without getting caught up in the infinite, a greater ability of God that God can even assume somewhat of a finite form. These two, these two energies, these two postures, if you will, of God, and again, any language that we use is going to be uh, uh, somewhat limit, limiting, even as we're trying to express an unlimited and a limited energy. Our Havaya and Elohim Havai is the unlimited the God, the God as beyond definition, Elohim is God assuming some sort of form of definition, which is why when the Torah tells us about creation, right at the beginning of the Torah, the Torah says, Bereishis Barah, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created. Not Hashem, not Havaya, but Elohim. Because the, 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 the energy of creation, creation is defined as limitation and definition. Creation is about definition, right? God says, there's a potential to create anything. God creates the world as we know it. God creates plants, vegetation, but this flower and that flower, that tree and that tree, this blade of grass, the blue grass of Kentucky, and the green grass of Georgia, perhaps we have green grass here, I don't know what we have. right? The different types of grass, the different types of animals, and, 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 and all of the cosmos, and everything that God creates, and different soil and different places which grows different things, all of that definition is a movement of the energy of Elohim, which is all about def- defining definition and limitation. God imposes limitation on the world. Creation is all about limitation because, after all, if you, if you say creation is all about not limitation, well, that was before creation. There was no limitation and it was only God. Creation is all about limitation, therefore it's all about Elohim. Hashem, Havaya, is all about a state, a posture beyond definition. And here's the challenge, and this is exactly the challenge that I mentioned before. We exist in this world, in a world of Elohim, in a world of definition. We're defined, each of us is unique. Each of us, as was mentioned last night in the uh, the reincarnation presentation, each of us has a unique soul print. Each of us has a unique soul mission. Each of us has a very unique space within the world, within history itself. Defined in a certain way that no one ever, no other soul, no other body, no other individual that lived ever had the same combination of definition that you have, that you, or you, or I, that you have, or that I have. We are absolutely unique. We live in a world of definition. Everything that, that's around us is defined in space. Everything has space, everything has parameters. Even ideas, we use terminology like I don't get it. Or did you grasp the idea? You Ever wonder why we use the word grasp when it comes to ideas? Because ideas also have definition. If an idea doesn't have a definition, you can't understand it. If an idea is like that, without definition, broad, it doesn't it doesn't rest anywhere, it can't be contained, it can't be un, it can't be grasped. Something when an idea is grasped, that how do you grasp an idea when the teacher or when the idea has definitions? Here it begins, here it ends, and this is the shape that it assumes. These are the ramifications, this is the implication, this is what it's predicated on, this is the style, the modality that it's following. Right? This is the structure of the idea. This is how it when an idea assumes a shape and a definition, we can understand it. If it's beyond definition, it doesn't have anywhere to reside. Everything in our reality is about definition. And here's the mistake that we make. We make the same mistake that I mentioned before. And that mistake is that definition exists in this world as separate from God. It's the same mistake. The same non-Abrahamic theology or Judaism. We say that When I live my life, right, just echoing what I mentioned before. When I live my life, so Torah, Judaism, God is good for the the spiritual stuff. But the stuff here on the ground, that's the world. In a sense, what a person is saying is, there's a disconnect between God as an infinite God, and the natural reality, the, defi- the, the reality of definitions, the world of definitions that I see here. And the world of definitions has nothing to do with God because I perceive God as Hashem, as Havaya. What is God? God is infinite. God is not limitation. What is limitation? That's not God. That's the world. So I say, let me turn to the world of definition. Let me turn to Elohim to figure out the problem. To figure or to figure out what is the problem, what's the solution, how do I proceed? Right. I figured I I, I work here in this space. Right. There's a crisis here, so how do I, What tools of this world do I utilize? Right. And that's not God. So if I want God for that's the, the holy stuff. I pull out I pull out the God card when I want to know about you know afterlife like bigger stuff that I can't figure out here. But in the world of definition here and now, I pull out the tools of the here and now. In other words, I pull out have to be careful because it, be, it could be self-defeating what I'm about to say in a sense of, of losing everybody. We pull out Elohim but we don't pull out Elohim knowing that Elohim is God. We pull out Elohim thinking that Elohim is the world. The world itself is disconnected from God. That Elohim is not, is not God. Elohim is the natural world. is nature is, is, the, is the workings, the definitions of nature. Again, we, put, we utilize the tools of the world to figure out the problems here in the ground and we ignore in a sense, or we, we, we don't think about God. God, We separate God out. Now, let me, let me give you an example for this. The example that he brings here in the text, very shortly, or somewhat shortly, depending on how quickly we get to it. It's on the next page, but... Or two. Pharaoh. Ancient Egypt. We're talking... 3,600 years ago. Pharaoh has two dreams. This is before Egyptian slavery, as the Torah records. Pharaoh, the great Pharaoh of Egypt, whoever that was at the time, he has two dreams. What are the dreams? Anybody remember the dreams?
4: Yeah. The, the, uh, cow.
0: He's standing by the Nile River and out of the Nile River emerge?
4: Seven
0: fat cows. Fat cows. Following the fat cows emerge, seven skinny cows. Skinny cows. <laughs> You're using about your lifelines. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to be a cabal in there? Now,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> then what happens, the next step is? What happens? You have, you, have, say, you have two sets of cows. right? The fat cows and the skinny cows. What happens next? Skinny cows ate the, fat. the skinny cows ate the fat cows. And what happens to the skinny cows? Nothing. Nothing. They don't get fat. They consume big cows and they remain skinny. Well, what happens to Pharaoh? What, what, what then happens to Pharaoh? What, what happens? Torah tells us. He wakes up. Then he goes to sleep again, falls asleep again, and he has another dream. And this dream, what's the dream? Corn yeah, ears of grain, right? He sees seven big ears, or corns, whatever. Seven thin. They're next to each other. The thin consume the fat, and they don't get any fatter. And he wakes up again. The Torah tells us, the Medrash fills in the missing, missing pieces of the story. He consults all of his advisors. He's troubled by this dream. He's troubled by this dream. Why is he troubled by this dream, Kabbalah explains? Because a a ruler of a country, there's nothing private that happens. A ruler of a country has special powers. And if he's having a dream, it's not only a personal dream, but it's a dream that affects the entire nation. So it's not just a dream, a stuyot, a fantasy. There's something here. He calls all the advisors, no one can give him an answer. One of his advisors or one of his assistants is the butler. The the baker was... (laughs) Remember what happened. The baker, they were all thrown in jail with Joseph. Why was the baker and butler thrown in jail? Because the butler served him wine with a fly in it and the baker served him bread with a stone in it. The butler was returned to his post with the understanding that the butler might have done his job and a fly flew in afterwards, so it's not his fault. Whereas if you bake a stone in your bread... Yeah, it's uh, you might not survive the week with uh, with, with Pharaoh. I, I'm more forgiving. I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. When will say Pharaoh, not like, yeah, I don't think you're going to survive the week. I mean, that's what's wrong. God forbid. In Pharaoh's world, this is the reality. Okay. The butler says, do I have... And by, and, and Joseph, more sets of dreams. He was the one who interpreted those dreams of the butler and the baker and said, the but- baker... Yeah, good news and bad news. The good news is, I know the answer to your dream. The bad news is, you don't want to hear it. The the butler, he says, you're going to return to your book. But remember me, it takes two years, but the butler says to Pharaoh, after Pharaoh's two dreams, I have somebody who might be able to help. They, They lift Joseph out of the pit, they dress him in fresh clothes, and he appears before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I hear that you can interpret dreams. And what does Joseph say? I'll try. It's not me, but I'll try. It's... And Joseph tells him, and Pharaoh tells him the dreams, and Joseph, Yosef, tells him the answer. What is the answer to the dreams? Seven fat cows and seven fat ears of grain refer to seven years of plenty, and the thin and the thin refer to years of famine. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot, and then there's going to be nothing, and the nothing is going to be the the, the famine is going to be such a famine. It's going to swallow up all of the fat cows and ears to the point that it's like it never existed, the plenty. It'll be such a recession, such an economic recession. It'll swallow it up without any erosion, without any sign that there ever was plenty. That's why the cows and the ears didn't get any fatter. It'll be so devastating. We'll have nothing, not only... So Pharaoh says, so what should we do? No, he doesn't even say, so what should we do? Joseph says, so here's what you should do. Prepare in the years of plenty for the years of famine. Simple, right? Prepare. Put away. Save in the years of plenty for the years of famine. Right? And your accountant and accountants have been saying the same thing ever since. Prepare in the years of plenty. You didn't think we got financial advice here this morning. But look at that. Look what happened. Look how we got here. Right? Prepare in the years of plenty for the years of famine. Joseph says the Rebbe asked the question: How did Joseph have the chutzpah to give advice? He wasn't asked for advice. He said, the Rebbe explains that this was part of the dream. Why were they standing next to each other? Because the answer, a pharaoh, when a pharaoh has a dream, you don't only have the problem; you have the solution as well within the dream. He didn't only see the problem at plenty and then famine. That's the problem. He saw the solution. The solution is you got to stand them next to each other in the years of plenty. Remember that there will be years of famine. Look forward to the years of famine. And when you're in the years of famine, and if you do that, then the years of famine, your years of plenty will be there as well. So, in other words, you have got to work out the two. So, one sec. So, what he says is, what he says is like this. Joseph says to Pharaoh. Listen to my advice. He says, Listen to my advice. And God, Elohim, Yana, Shalom, Paro. He says, God, Elohim, God will provide for Pharaoh's welfare. God will provide. God will help. So I'll ask you a simple question Was Joseph converting Pharaoh? Was Joseph converting Pharaoh? Tongue to believe in God? God will provide? He says, Elohim, God will provide for your welfare. God will help. You know what, Pharaoh? I want you to do these strategies and God will provide. What's he saying? Pharaoh believes in God? Since when? Pharaoh said, I'm a God. What does Joseph mean when he says Elohim? He doesn't mean God. The world. He means the world. In other words, if you take care of your, if, if you follow this plan, it'll work out. The forces of the world, right? Pharaoh also believes in the forces of the world. Economic forces, sociological forces, historical forces, his own forces, the Nile forces, the tides, whatever it is. He believes in forces. The oceans then whatever, the river that rises. He believed in forces. F- Joseph says to Pharaoh, speaking in his terminology, Elohim will provide for you. Who's Elohim? Elohim. Joseph means his Elohim, which we'll see soon what that means. But in speaking to Pharaoh, Joseph doesn't have to be afraid that Pharaoh's going to think that he's this, you know, he's pulling a T-Bow. If you get the reference? Joseph doesn't... He doesn't have to be afraid that Joseph is... Joseph doesn't have to be afraid... He's a football player that's that he's getting a lot of publicity because of his beliefs, which is not a bad thing. But I'm saying, Joseph doesn't have to be worried that he's going to be perceived as, whoa, who's this guy that's invoking God at every turn? Huh? It does. My point is, he doesn't... know. it doesn't make a difference. My point is that Joseph doesn't have to think, doesn't have to be afraid that he's that he's going to be looked at as a, He's saying, Hello, Kim. In other words, Hello, Kim. The forces that you talk about. The forces that you... There's the forces of nature that run the world. In other words, the same forces, the economic forces. When we have a crisis and we say, Well, what should we do? Or when we have a... You know, with parenting or with relationships or with whatever it is, with happiness. And we say, So what should we do? What what movement on the ground? What what can we learn? How can we apply it? What, what All those conditions. So Joseph says, This is what you should do. Save up. It right, seems kind of obvious. Save up in the times of plenty. Put it away. Store it well. In times of famine, you'll draw from it. Done. Done deal. You got crisis averted. And what is that? That's the force. Right? That's the force. Invisible hand of uh, the market force. Like, you know, like, in other words, Whatever it is. So, in other words, it'll work out. You make it happen at all. If you take these steps, it'll work out. Elohim will provide. Who's Elohim? Elohim is Elohim. Joseph really means a different definition of Elohim, the true Elohim. Again, we have to explain. This is where I said it may get get a little bit confusing. There are two Elohims. There's not only Havai and Elohim, there are two perceptions of Elohim. There's one perception of Elohim. Elohim is nature, the definitions of the world, the forces of the world. There's one understanding and perspective of Elohim as disconnected from God. Which again is the popular notion. And and a notion that we're also, that each of us, myself included, we're all susceptible to. We go through a crisis. What do we pull out? We, we, or we, what do we draw on? What do we think about? The here and now. We don't think about something higher necessarily immediately. We think about the here and now. right? We get we get confused. We get anxious. We get anxiety. We become fearful because we're worried about the here. And we don't realize that what is the here. So we disconnect the here from from, from higher. The truth is, this is what Judaism teaches. This is what Abraham taught at the beginning of this religion of this faith called Judaism, not re- this, un-religion, this non-religion called Judaism, what he taught at the beginning was, Hashem is Elohim, Elohim is Hashem. It's all the same. There's one, there's one force. Elohim is Hashem, Hashem is Elo- Elohim. That when you're faced with a Christ on the ground, it is good to pray. Right? It is good to pray and then take and, and study Torah and figure out the steps to take. And work on the ground as well, because that's how God wants it to work out. Working with the tools of nature as well. But don't for a minute forget that Elohim is also connected to Hashem. But here's the point. When Joseph speaks to Pharaoh, he can throw out Elohim. Because Elohim, Pharaoh hears Elohim. I know Elohim. Elohim is nature. Forces of nature. The forces of the here and now. So Joseph has nothing nothing to shy away from because this is the language that Pharaoh speaks as well. Pharaoh speaks about denial, and powers, and suns and movement, and earth, and everything, you know, giving, and an, you know, the economy, and all that stuff. Wonderful. So Joseph is giving him some, some economic advice that works. And, and Pharaoh says, I appreciate it. It makes a lot of sense. It's, does Pharaoh become now a believer in God? In in God, God? Of course not. He's a believer in, uh, in the economy. Yeah? So, just thought, trying to get my head as you're kind of tying a few
2: things together, where you're talking about you know, economic advice, and then Jeff's question and this idea that Judaism and God is supposed to be everywhere you know, I think part of it is we see rabbis as being in synagogues so um, are there rabbis who then go on to become accountants and lawyers and you know, I'm thinking of all the certifications out there what if there were like Kabbalistic certified uh, accounts and it may sound funny but I'm serious because but
0: Judaism, ha- Judaism has a structure for that you know what it says it says if you're an accountant you gotta study Torah an hour in the morning and an hour at night and if you're an attorney, or if you're a lawyer, you got to study Torah—an hour in the morning, an hour at night. As you as can as study as with as other as lawyers. As study in other as places. I
2: mean, but maybe, you know, seriously, well, because we live here, we're very inspired. But then there are the practical things that sometimes, like, where do we turn? So even having a directory here of uh, people know in the
0: community—that's uh, th- an option. There's there's, there's a lot of different ways. Because, uh, no, no, I'm with I
2: just, I think as a practical,
0: practical. I'm absolutely with you. And again, there's—I will tell you this—that in within within the Chabad community. Whatever that means, there is. I mean, I'm not going to say we're here, but like New York or whatever, Uh, the Rebbe instituted that everyone who goes to the yeshiva system should become an ordained rabbi, even if you don't want to go into the the field of rabbinics. So I have lots of friends who are, you know, in other fields. They have their rabbinic, they have their ordination. So it's a great, it's a great foundation. It's a great way to. The idea is to get, and that's what yeshiva is all about. Yeshiva is not about producing a rabbi necessarily. Yeshiva is about producing an individual who can. Who will engage in the world in in a proper Jewish way. Engaging in the world on that level. So, look, to that end, we're going to have a course coming up in, uh, I think, starting in February on, on Jewish business ethics. So it's going to be a course that's all about you know, how, to, how to work Jewishly. How to work with those values. Six-week courses, one of the JLI courses. So, look, there, there are different ways to do this, different ways to, to make that happen. But the idea is that this is what Judaism teaches and this is, what, this is what Judaism is about so the disconnect happens when we say that the world right, that the world runs and not necessarily is God the same, not as Hashem not necessarily is Hashem Elokim. Elohim, Elohim is, uh, is the world this is not what Judaism says so with this, with this foundation, we can now turn to the text and understand uh, what we're reading page 36 at the bottom Actually, in order to start on 36 in the bottom, we have to start the, the middle paragraph on 36. Ed, would you like to take it away? Middle paragraph 36. And here we're talking about Moses and Pharaoh. This is obviously with regards to a later the, the, a later Pharaoh that dealt with Moses. This was the Pharaoh of, uh, of the slavery in Egypt. This is the Pharaoh that got afflicted by the plagues, etc. Um, and we were talking, this is going back last time and the time before, how uh, the, the purpose of the plagues was to drive this idea home that there is no disconnect between Hashem and Elohim, between, in a sense, God and the world. So let's pick it up from here, and we'll segue into the, to the continuation.
1: This is what Moses meant? Yeah. Right. This is what, what Moses meant after God afflicted Pharaoh and all of Egypt when he said, you should know that there is none other lightning in the whole world emphasizing in the whole world This is also what is meant by the verse in order that they should speak highly of my name in the whole world this was in order to eradicate from their erroneous belief that god had abandoned the world and relegated its sole management to the constellations himself to play no role whatsoever in
0: and again constellations fill it in with whatever whatever uh, you know synonym or you want to put in there constellations market forces you know luck bad luck uh, karma whatever you want to fill it in you know all of the other things that pull it away from God so God so a person thinks right or Pharaoh thought Egypt thought things happen things happen <coughs> down here separated from God God's not involved. In other words, they acknowledge using Kabbalistic terminology which we're going to get to in the next paragraph. They acknowledge in a sense Elohim, but Elohim not as God, Elohim as? On the ground, of the world. The world, exactly. Continue.
1: Just the opposite is true. There is none other like me in the whole world. And no one can challenge God's ability to alter the order of nature here on earth. This is the fundamental belief and knowledge of the Jewish people who believe in and know that which they receive through their, through our teacher Moses directly from the mouth of God, namely, to know this day and to take into your heart that Haviah is Elohim, "...in the heavens, above, and upon the earth, below, there is nothing else."
0: So this is, what he says is, what is the fundamental belief and knowledge of the Jewish people? What is Judaism predicated on, or one of the major things that Judaism is predicated on? This teaching that we received from Moses, received it from Hashem, and again, what I'm saying is, this is, the same, this is what Abraham lived. It's captured in a nice verse that, in the Torah, that Moses transmitted from Hashem to us, but this is what, how Avram, what, how, how, how Abraham, the first Jew, lived. And what is it? Know this, know it. Put it to your heart. In other words, take it to heart. And live it. And what is it? What are you living with? That Havaye is Elohim. That that Hashem and the world are not two separate entities. In the heavens above, upon the earth below, there's nothing else. It's not that the world runs on its own. It's not the nature that has it. There's one force. Yeah, absolutely.
3: So, Assuming that that the God that is the infinite, undefinable, that aspect, um, is there sort of a connection in either the Torah or some other Jewish texts that kind of clarifies that connection?
0: Between
3: the the
0: two, it's the same. It's it's the, the way Kabbalah explains it is that nature and the world is an expression of God's ability to conceal himself. So the fact that it doesn't look like God is, is involved in running the show, that's exactly the point. That itself is God. In other words, the concealment itself is a divine energy. The divine energy, the power of concealment. So nature itself is divine. There's the, there's the shroud of nature itself is divine. But the objective is not to say, well, it's divine, so we can, it, we can keep it covered. This is what we were, we were created, in a sense, to reverse the process of creation. The process of creation is, create, God creates concealment. Our objective is to reverse that process. And in the space of concealment, to create, to, to open up the concealment and, to, and to, to, to create revelation, in a sense. As opposed to concealment. In other words, to pull back the curtains and say... I know, I know who's there. And we do that every time we live in the world and recognize God's space in that space. And one of the names of God is Makom, which means space. Who Makom He is the space of the world. In other words, everything around us, and we have to understand what about the bad stuff, what about the evil stuff, and it's, it's another topic, it's another conversation, which we've talked about also before. But the idea is that and the things that we bichadur charedeiu, in all of your ways you shall know them, In every every area of life, when we're eating, when we're when we do all of these things in ways that are that are um, in concert with the teachings of Judaism, teachings of Torah, teachings of the divine wisdom, then those experiences cease to be here and now experiences, and they suddenly become experiences about revealing God in, in, in that space. So the food that we eat is not just food. The food that we eat now is an expression of it's God's food. Because when we recite a blessing, a very simple example. We eat something, and we recite a blessing before we eat. Right? We say bracha. What we're saying in this moment is, I recognize that the food is not some disconnected entity that I'm just consuming as a part of this Elohim mechanism. Right? It's not just, I'm, right, I need to eat, so this is here, so I'm going to eat it, so I can live. Disconnected from anything high, but rather I recognize that this is coming from God. And there's a higher purpose to why I need to eat in the first place. Because why do I need to eat to live? Why do I need to live? That's, so the bracha, the blessing causes us to think about all these deeper things. And suddenly, instead of just being a piece of food, right, a bagel that's disconnected from any high reality, it turns out that this bagel opens up the window to this profound truth of God, that God is right here in this experience. And suddenly what happens is, we're reversing creation. God says, I'm going to hide myself in the bagel. So you don't see me. You see a bagel, you don't see me. And we say, ah, we know who, what's, who's really behind the bagel. Right? Bagel. Right? You got your, your wheat, you got your water, right? you got your flour, your water, your whatever you have, and you're God. Obviously within a certain <laughs> boundaries and context. Right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah.
4: This is off subject, Tully, and move on. But um, is it too strong to say that somebody who didn't have this awareness—the Havaiah is Elohim awareness—could take the place, uh, the synagogue, for example, the ritual, whatever it is, the law, and itself see that as disconnected? In other words, exactly. That's the same thing. The law, or the ritual, or Mm -hmm. the Torah as a book, not as a Mm God-inspired book. Or it, even a rabbi as a guru rather than
0: a... I see, I, 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 are you saying that it becomes so holy in a sense that it's not practical, or are you saying something else? I'm
4: saying the opposite. I'm saying that somebody could take, could take something that is holy or that is a path to right. say Havaya right. and, and deify it, in essence, to say, to create an idol out of their synagogue or out of their rabbi or out of their practice or out of their tefillin. In other words, without understanding the God-infused nature of
0: it. I think the challenge is more of... I, I think I understand what you're saying. I think the challenge, the more practical challenge is not recognizing what tefillin has to do with my, with my clarity of mind today.
4: That's what I mean. If you were just an automaton, if you just literally right. followed it because... Because that's
0: what it says, right. In other words, if we recognize that, you know what Tefillin does, this is what explained in in Judaism and Kabbalah, that Tefillin, we put one on the head and one on the heart. Tefillin, when you have a confused mind, Tefillin focuses the mind. Tefillin has the, not on a spiritual level, on a practical level, Tefillin has the power of clarity of mind and clarity of heart. Do we know that, or do we think that Tefillin is some sort of mitzvah, it's a ritual, God wants us to do it, but whatever. So, The challenge, I think, is putting the mitzvah as some sort of, you know, disconnected experience. And I think, I guess this is what you're saying. I think this is what you're saying. As opposed to something...
4: Not it, but the the way you do it become an idol. If you're putting out tefillin because your father taught you to and you worship your father... Because he's your father when you're young, right? right? You worship and you just do it, and now it is fifty years later, and you're doing it for the
0: same. Yeah, so there's a cha- there's a challenge there. I don't know if I would call it an, uh, more idol worship because at the end of the day, you're still doing a mitzvah. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's almost like I would I would put a parallel to if somebody is trained by their parents to give, you know, when they walk down the street and somebody's asking for money, to always take out a dollar. So you're not thinking about how that actually makes a difference in the world or whatever. You just do it because that's how you're trained. So, would you say that that's, that it becomes deified and that, in other words, I think that the negative connotation, I wouldn't go with the negative connotation. Now, it could lose its significance, it could lose its meaning and its relevance, if you're not, if you're not aware of it. But is it a bad thing? It's, it's, as long as it's, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. Um, the challenge the other way is, when the world is disconnected from something higher, then it could lead to bad things. When you're doing a mitzvah, whether it's a mitzvah to somebody else, or a mitzvah to, you know, a ritual mitzvah, or a, whether it's a dollar or a tefillin, you're still in a realm of goodness. So is it as good as it could be? It's not as good as it could be. I
4: understand that that's helpful.
0: Does that make sense? Okay. But definitely there's a challenge in the disconnect both ways. In where, When I live my life, I live it here. When I do my religious stuff, when I do my Jewish stuff, I do it there. And they don't speak to each other. Right? I put on my tefillin in the morning, and that's it. That becomes the tefillin. I did that for God. And when I live, I live in a space that's disconnected. This way. That's the danger. And again, Abraham, I want, I, just the way, like W-W-A-S, what would Abraham say? <laughs> right? What would Abraham say about this? Would he recognize that? Would he recognize that as, as being Jewish? The answer is, in my opinion, based on all of this and other teachings, the answer is no. A, a Judaism that separates out religious observance from practical life Right, A Judaism that separates out the ritual from the practical is not Judaism. Abraham teaches a Judaism, a holistic Judaism. Steve, what you got? I think some of us grew up in, in, in that place, and uh, Judaism felt very empty. You know, because there really was no... It, it was more like, you know... You What's go the to point? Bathroom, you go to shul, right. You know, I mean, you
3: know, it was just kind of what we were told. you go got to keep your school. you to
4: Maybe what you're saying is why we felt, some of us felt like emptiness very much. Absolutely. You know, that people will say, you hear people say, well, you know, Judaism really didn't do
0: anything. You know, that kind of context. Right. I wonder if that's what And that's, this is, you no, know, this is, this is it's, it's all the same, it's all this, exactly. Thank you for, for, for couching in these very, very real and practical terms and relevant terms. It's exactly, in other words, if Judaism doesn't speak to us, if Judaism remains there and I live life here, so they're not speaking these two realities these two parts of my life are not speaking to each other so i live here so what do i need Judaism for it doesn't speak, it doesn't it's not relevant to me if i'm not happy so what is going to shul, what what's going to help right if i'm confused what's shul going to help you know if i feel you know insecure what's the mezuzah going to help what's what's the relevance so if if Judaism has you know if Judaism doesn't speak to me so then yeah it's an empty experience and, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely with you and this is but a Judaism that looks like that the point is a Judaism that looks like that is a Judaism that Abraham Moses whatever let's stick with Abraham because I I, I kind of like that angle the Judaism that Abraham wouldn't recognize he wouldn't recognize that Judaism is about is about living it's about life it's not a religion it's not about you know I go to shul I go there I put on t- about living. It's about living in a different way. This is a profound uh, paradigm shift of thinking. It's a different way of, of approaching it. Now again, it's not going to happen overnight. How do I go from it? How do I find the meaning? What do I do? What's the first step? Alright, good. Everyone's, everyone's on a different path. and Everyone, everyone needs to approach it and, and, and move into that space. But we've got to know, hopefully we, we ought to know where, what the truth is and where we're headed. And the idea is that a reality or a mindset, a life, in which Elohim and Havaya are disconnected. And Again, Elohim and Havaya are the same things we're talking about. I want to... Same thing. Right? A equals this. this. All right. Elohim and Havaya. If Elohim and Havaya are separated in our reality, in other words, the, my life and God, Judaism, mitzvah, if that's separated, I am... Then there's a certain truth that's lacking in my life, in a sense. And there's... there's and this is not consistent with, uh, as he said over here, with the fundamental belief and knowledge of the Jewish people and the Torah, which is what Moses communicated to us from Hashem, which is know that Hashem is Elokim, and the heavens above, the earth below, there's nothing else. It's all the same. All right. Now let's uh, let's continue thirty-eight. We're going to do a little bit more inside, uh, because we're on a roll here. Not on a bagel, on a roll. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Indeed.
1: This also explains Pharaoh's question Who is Haviah? He specifically used the name Haviah for he was already familiar with godliness as manifested in the name Elohim.
0: I had to explain this. Pharaoh says to Moses, God, Moses says to Pharaoh, Haviah says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? What are you talking about? What are you talking about, Moses? Right? Who's Haviah? Who's this havaya you speak of? I don't know havaya. What's the, what's the significance of that? I know Elohim. Not that Pharaoh says, I have to, be, I have to explain this, because again, there's two Elohims. Not that Pharaoh says, oh, I know Elohim, I know God Elohim. He's saying, I know Elohim, i.e. the forces of the world, but who's havaya? In other words, he's. I don't want you to get confused with the text. I'm saying the text also can be confusing here. He's not saying, I know God as Havaya, but I don't know God as Elohim. What he's saying is, I know Elohim not as God, not as Havaya. In other words, Havaya is, let's say, God. He says, I know Elohim, I know the forces here. I know the Nile, I know the Pharaoh, I know the whatever else that we serve. I know the constellations, I know the economy, I know the whatever. I know my slaves and the labor that they can produce and all this stuff and pyramids. I know this. You're telling me God says, let my people go? What? What are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Who's this Avaya? I don't know what you're talking about. Because he doesn't see the here and now, the the, the forces, the powers here, as being at all connected with Hashem. Okay, and this is the continuation. Now let's uh, let's see where can we go. Let's go for another like three minutes. We'll see. We'll see how many, how much more. This is all. It's uh, the next few paragraphs. It's all the same idea, just explained and, and and a little bit more details and layers to it. But it's all the, along the same line. So we're just going to go for another another four five, uh, three four minutes. All right, take it away. Two modes of divine interaction.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
0: that was the power, the baton right? being passed down <laughs> to. Uh, all right, start again, Sorry. Uh, the
4: name Elohim connotes might and power as in the mighty ones of the land. Thus, when interpreting Pharaoh's dream, Joseph said Elohim will provide for Pharaoh's welfare, for he understood that to Pharaoh's thinking it was axiomatic that the power that provided him with vitality should also be the one to provide for his welfare.
0: In other words, Elohim also, in addition to meaning nature and, and, and the limited force of God, Elohim also literally means power. So when when Joseph says to Pharaoh, Elohim is going to provide for your welfare. What he means is power, the force which Pharaoh immediately interprets as what's the power of the world? The world. The world is its own power. The world has its own forces. So, as Pharaoh is speaking in terms, sorry, Joseph is speaking in terms that Pharaoh can understand, right? The power, the force, the, all of these things. May the force be with you, right? All these things. They, they're going to hook you up, right? If you take care of your, if, if you. Follow my advice if you follow the dream's advice, the interpretation of the dream, which is set those years next to those years, save in the years of plenty for the years of famine. If you do all of that, the powers of the world, the forces of nature will protect you. Mother nature will protect you. See he's speaking to Pharaoh's like, Oh, I get it, I understand. That's how it works. But really, Joseph means something completely different. But he's using terminology that that Pharaoh can understand. Continue. But
4: in truth, have I an elokim of the same as And
0: really, the essence there—that's a bracket. Have and an elokim are the same? It's one thing. It's more powerful, I think, than what they added in the brackets, which are of the, of the same essence. Of the same essence sounds like it's the same thing. Elokim is not elokim; it's havaya. Elokim is havaya, havaya is elokim. So why do they have the two different words? Already, I don't know. They have two different words because one doesn't look like the other. Because God has the ability to make Himself not look like God. But it's still God's ability to not look like God. It's nothing else other than God's ability to not look, on very simple terms, nature, what looks like, oh that's not God, that's God. Right, it's God in a costume. Purim. It's
3: like different facets.
0: Exactly. But I, I want to be careful with fastness because God is still, and there's a point over here is there's still oneness even within this duality, so to speak, of Havai Lekim. It's still oneness. It just looks to us, it's almost like, and I've used this example before in, in, in previous Sundays the concealment of Elohim, the fact that we don't see God as Elohim, and to us it's a whole trick to figure out that Elohim is really Avaya, and right, Elohim is Avaya, Avaya is Elohim, it's like that whole thing, like, oh, it's Superman, this is Clark Kent, and Clark Kent. that whole thing that we have to figure out, to God, don't quit my day job, to God, there's no, there's no duality. For us... We see a distinction, or to us it becomes difficult, there's a distinction that we have to overcome, we have to figure out. But for God, there's no distinction. It's the same. It's the same truth. It's almost like we use the, the example of the two-way mirror, where on one side the person sees through, and the other side the person sees their, themselves. So we look at reality and we see us. We see the here or now. We see the stuff on the ground, and then we have to realize, wait, there's something behind the mirror. There's, you know, the cops are watching. But on, the, uh, but on, 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 the, on the, God, on God's side, God sees His own space and our space, and it's all one space to Him. But for us, we see ourselves, and we see. Use the example of the two-way mirror. So we look at the mirror. And we say, "Oh, hey, look at that! Nice, right? Hey, look at that, right? Oh, look, look at the beard today, right? Whatever it is." Of God not appearing as God
3: to pull people to pull those in that maybe not believe in God that will believe in the world. Yeah, but not if yeah,
0: but not if they believe in the world, and you still have to have to have to. I understand, you understand your question. Closer? It's to provide a challenge. It's definitely to provide a challenge. It's to go the other way. If God wanted to make it easier, He would say, Here I am. And we would see, Oh, God. And we would see less of ourselves than we would see God. As the Rebel Avius of Bredishev once said, God, why do you make it so difficult for us? He was saying, to, Speaking to God. They say, If you speak to God, you're religious. If God speaks to you, you're Meshuggah. But anyway, that's another story. So. He said that "mashugam" means a little, a little crazy, we know. right? We know. We know. <laughs> Been there, done that. So here's the deal. He says, "So why, God, do you put everything else? You put the world in front of us, and you lock away God in the books? You have to figure out that so put the God in front of us and lock away all the pleasure of the world in the books, and we'll see. We'll be less uh, less involved. Although we will probably figure out still uh, you know, how to make a good bagel and cream cheese and locks. We'll probably open up the right books for that.
3: I think you know, for me, it's it's if you depend on your ego to, to to say what's manifest yeah. is all that there is. Yeah. But if you've lived a little bit of time and you experience the unexpected and right. what's not manifest the miracle it opens it up all of a sudden you just kind of accept the fact that there's there something is a lot that is not manifest here's the
0: challenge though here's the challenge it's a profound point and that's what the plagues we said it's for the plagues were for to open up pharaoh and the egyptians to a new reality that's beyond the box because pharaoh says i control everything and god says really you control everything how about your nile t- your nile turning into blood you control that yeah how do you do that and he said, No, we could do that. We have the sorcerers that can do that. Yeah, can you make light? Can you make that's what the plagues were for, to take Pharaoh out of that experience. But here's still the trick. The trick is: do I still make a disconnect that when there's a miracle, then it's God. But otherwise, it's in other words, even as much as we know it, when we're in the here and now, when we're facing the challenge, do we go straight to God or do we go first here? And then we're like, oh, wait a second, maybe we, it's, what I'm saying is, even as we've seen life experiences, we know there's something beyond, how immediate, how, how, how fluid is that connection between the here and the beyond, between I and Lukim? It's still a challenge. I'm saying, even if we know it, even if we've seen it from time to time, even if we've experienced, it, and it's been so true that there's, there's something greater than, there's something greater than. Yeah, and a mitzvah is a mitzvah, and a bar mitzvah is a wonderful celebration, and a yomtiv is a yomtiv. But is it my day-to-day? Am I living it in the day-to-day? There's still a susceptibility to, 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 to not, in a sense, living Abraham's vision. All right, let's just finish the paragraph, and then we're going to close it and, uh, and give.
3: Yeah.
4: The powers which provide the flow of vitality are indistinguishable from Haba'ah, for it is he who gives power to succeed, and it is he who supervises in detail over all the ways of men to repay each man according to his ways and the outcome of his deeds, albeit through the ministering angels and powers which transmit vitality like an axe in the hands of the woodchopper. So he says
0: that it's really God. There's a seamless God. There's a seamless flow of energy from God to the world. There's no separate forces. and no separate powers. Yeah, there are other things that seem to be in control and and, 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 and moving things around and moving and shaking. That's all like an axe in the hands of the woodchopper. So it doesn't have its own energy, its own uh, distinct vitality. Continue on the the paragraph, and we're going to conclude right here. Uh, the reason why I'm reading this is just so we have a double shalom, we have a complete topic. But we're really next week we're going to start. We're going to pull back a little bit because we're going to talk about some cool things here that we're going to need to, to 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 start next week. But we're just getting this is a this is a conclusion and a preview. What time
2: the feminine faith uh,
0: is this? Also laying the foundation. This is all the foundation. This is all the foundation. It's you. Once we get there, it's going to be ah. Now I get it. Okay. Forty, this is the meaning.
4: This is the meaning of the verse in the heavens above and upon the earth below there is nothing else. Just as in the heavens above, which even the idolaters conceive is the abode of his glory and is privy to his detailed supervision, so too upon the earth below there is nothing else at all. And
0: again, this is saying as clearly as possible that the life that we live and the things that happen, they they're not disconnected from God's reality. And the more we know that and the more we live that, the closer we are to the truth. Continue?
4: Uh, Namely, the power of a ministering angel or other purveyor of vitality, even the likes of the angel Matat, called minister of the universe, is is not something else besides God's essence. There is nothing else at all, for there is literally nothing besides God.
0: Alright, this will lay the foundation. This kind of concludes our, this kind of rounds out our discussion. And, again, lays a lot of ideas out there. Matat, you can't pronounce his full name, this angel, or her name, whatever, this angel's name. All right, it's in the text. Oh, don't say it. Don't read it. It's 68. Oh, blah, blah. All right. Anyway, so um, good. We're, we're going to pick this up next week. Continue the conversation. We're going to get back. Yeah, feminine faith, the feminine aspect, we're going to get back to. This is all ties into it. The awareness of a violent kim is tied into to feminine faith. So it's going to happen. Um, a few quick announcements. Uh, so thank you all for coming.